0: Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode.
1: Hi, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with guest narrator, Brian Polino. Welcome to Audiobook Lovin', Brian. How are you doing today?
2: Hey, Viviana. Doing all right. How are you?
1: I'm doing good, thanks. Um, so, for those of us that may not know you a whole lot, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, you know, how long you've been narrating?
2: Yeah, so I got into audiobooks in probably the middle of 2013. Um, I had acted in plays and stuff since I was a kid and had been wanting to get back into it in my early 20s. And when I discovered the world of audiobooks, which I didn't know much about and was lucky enough to get an audition, um, I realized that this is such an incredibly thriving community and it's all based on acting. And it allows me to flex my acting chops and have a lot of fun telling stories. And so I've been doing it since 2013, ever since.
1: yeah, and you haven't looked back yet, huh?
2: <laughs> no, no, I have not looked back.
1: Good. So how do you, when you get cast for a book, how do you go about prepping it?
2: Well, it's interesting. Every, every book is different. You know, I, I think across the board, I can definitely say that the most prep work that goes into uh, the process deals with nonfiction books because usually you're involved in some kind of historical scenario where there's a lot of names and geographical locations. You have to make sure you get the right pronunciations, especially if there's different languages involved. So when I've done, World War II stuff and anything that involves some strong historical setting that involves a lot more prep work than say, reading any type of fiction or romance novels that I just have to sort of put myself into the head of the character. So I usually go through and sort of get the lay of the land with who the protagonist is, who I'm playing. And as a general rule, I always usually portray the uh, the first person male character or the narrator if it's a third person mission narrator, I usually always portray that in my normal speaking voice, which you hear now unless of course the author wants a specific accent. but usually if I can help it I always try to make the most natural sound which is just my regular speaking voice.
1: Right, how do you go about selecting how the other characters are going to sound?
2: Well that's uh, that's that can be an interesting process depending on the perspective. Now, I would say that a good 95% of the romance books I've done have been with a co-narrator, a female co-narrator. And I am a huge, huge believer in coordinating characters with them. So I'm always reaching out and I always love to talk to them on the phone and just have a nice conversation so I can really glean the sound of her voice Get the idiosyncrasies that she has and we talk about the characters we talk about the book we talk about the background and whatnot so i think the biggest part of the process for me that's the most helpful is just getting to know who my co-narrator is and really uh get a feel for how she sounds and the wonderful acting that she's going to bring and i'm happy to say that a lot of a lot of these narrators that i've worked with have become friends of mine in real life
1: yeah, everybody's very sweet and nice, and you guys also mm-hmm. get paired a lot often. Sometimes there's certain voices, I guess, that sound good together.
2: Yeah, and... it's a it's a wonderful community. I'm I'm so glad to be a part of it. I'm so glad that some of the best friends I have, uh, in in the city and at these conventions and whatnot, are people that I've met through the audiobook world.
1: Um, you were mentioning about having a a, a co-narrator. When it comes down to narrating projects, do you prefer a, a duel, a duet, or a solo? Does it matter?
2: You know, it's funny you, you mentioned that, Viviana, because <laughs> I actually am about to start my first duet ever. I've never done a duet before,
1: uh,
2: so it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, I don't know how much I can say right now because mm-hmm. the project hasn't started production yet, but it is fun to uh, to do it like, Almost like a radio play where mm-hmm. you where you get to narrate just the lines and just focus on the characters. Unfortunately, because of the current situation, we can't do it in the same room, which is what I prefer. If I had my way, I would always do duets with the other narrator in the room and we could just feed off each other's energy. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I'd say I prefer when it comes to romance, I really prefer to do dual narration at this point because I think it's really important, especially if the book is long, I, I, I as a listener would prefer to get different perspectives, and there's something nice and refreshing about you hear my voice for a little bit, and then you hear the the co-narrator's voice, and you get her perspective. And I think as a listener, it's a it's a fresh experience to hear multiple perspectives and multiple voices throughout one book.
1: You know, originally back in the day, there was always just the one narrator, and then they started with the whole duel, and now we're doing duets and. Personally, I, I love duets, specifically when the book has really good banter between the hero yes. and the heroine because that's yes. just, there's just that interruption and in the 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 mood and the setting at the moment. You can't go wrong with having the two each of them have their own you know character voices and stuff like that.
2: If I had my way, uh, for duets and things like that, when there's banter and conversations, if I had my way, there'd be a little bit of room for improvisation like stumble or um, or any of these little idiosyncratic things that we say in the English language when we're having a conversation with somebody because we don't always speak perfectly. We don't always have crisp, clear, perfect diction. We don't always say exactly what's on our mind when we're in the middle of a stream of consciousness sentence. So if I had my way, there'd be a room for a little improvisation, but then it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be this, it wouldn't be the text anymore. It'd be something different.
1: Yeah. Well, who knows? There's been so many innovations when it comes down to having these different types of audiobooks. One day we may have something where you're saying, okay, you can have at least three ums in your entire dialogue. Pick what you <laughs> put them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I get that because it's always like you're listening and everything's clear. Even when they're pissed off at each other, you know, none of them ever comes back and says, you know what? I, you know, it's been an hour and I'm still mad at you. And I just thought what a good comeback would be. It's always in the moment. And I'm like, that's so not how it works. And I'm the girl that says, um, yeah. A lot. so yeah, yeah, on to yeah I hear you. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind But of
2: cool. uh, that's an, that's definitely an experience. I hope to have at some point soon, you know, when, when we're allowed to be in the same room with each other again, <laughs> whenever <laughs> that is, uh, I would, I definitely would love to do a duet with, with, uh, one of my lovely, co narrators that I've worked with before and just have the experience of being in the same room and again feeding off each other's energy because that's so important it's the same thing as when you're in a stage play you 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 get the vibe of the actor that you're working with and that allows you to inform your character at the same time as you're having the conversation based on the energy that they're giving you so that's definitely something I'd love to do one of these days
1: yeah a lot of people are doing more the um the zoom where they get each other on, on camera and they'll do the recording. They'll still recording your own equipment kind of thing, not using Zoom stuff, but that energy and that at least semi being in the same room. Um, I know that, they, yeah, they've done that. So
2: wow, think, well, mm-hmm. that's, uh, I haven't haven't had that experience yet, but I guess this whole pandemic situation is teaching us things about social media and conversations that we maybe took for granted before, and now, we're finding all these different ways to connect with each other, so. Yeah,
1: and solutions an for, for problems, yeah. So we were talking about um, the character tones and stuff like that, in that um, but when it comes down to accents, is there a favorite accent that you love to perform?
2: Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> it's, that's a difficult one. Um, I think, it, uh, you know, it's interesting I go back and forth sometimes. There are times that I love. Yeah. You know, I, I think what I'm, I I don't want to use the word typecast because that that would be wrong, but I think what I tend to do a lot of times is I, I I tend to play Italian protagonists, obviously speaking in English, but usually there is a nice healthy dose of Italian dialogue here and there. And because I'm fluent, it's, that's kind of very natural for me. So I like performing in that accent because it allows me to tap into that side of me, that, knows how to correctly pronounce words and stuff <laughs> uh, you know I, I grew up in a house where you know i know it might sound a little snobby but i grew up in a house where it's like having italian immigrants as grandparents who came here after the second world war you know it wasn't ricotta or risotto it's ricotta and you risotto. know risotto like mm-hmm. it's just, we you just say things the way you know they were taught and you were taught so mm-hmm. i like i like doing italian accents however if i had to pick one that i want to get better at and I think this probably is informed by recently watching the series Broadchurch which is amazing but I love David Tennant's Scottish accent it is just so beautiful and that's definitely something I'd love to work on and maybe get better at but I think that's one of my favorite accents to listen to not exactly sure if I would call myself proficient at it right now but maybe one of these days
1: yeah and it's definitely one that the listeners like. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: But I I tend to get cast uh, if there is an accent going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to get cast as a, as an Italian protagonist, and I've done quite a bit of books where there's some kind of either mafia background or like an Italian executive who's living and working in New York, and there's a love story there. So that's uh, it's kind of it's kind of my wheelhouse at the moment.
1: Yeah. I think it also, because of the fact that you're fluent in Italian, mm-hmm. it comes yes. into play where sometimes there's, they're now doing a lot more um, heroes and heroines that are either from a background perspective, family background, they're from other countries or they're like you said, an executive that's staying in the United States because they're from abroad. And mm. so you have more of that variety as far as dialects and accents and things like that.
2: Yeah. Or sometimes it goes the other way. I I did a book a couple of years ago where I was this grape farmer in Italy working on the farm that his family had owned for generations. They're, you know, making, they're making wine. And it's like a, it was a, sorry, it's a winery, not a grape farm. And the, and the female protagonist tries to escape some circumstances in New York and she comes and lives in Italy and that's how we meet. And, you know, then there's the, you know, the whole, the whole thing. So that was a lot of fun. It was nice to, uh, it was nice for once to be an Italian protagonist that wasn't, in the mafia or wasn't some <laughs> or, or wasn't some billionaire or businessman it was nice to be like an actual you know regular Joe. <laughs>
1: yeah
2: like, like yeah like a, a grape farmer making wine and working with his hands and stuff yeah. like it was nice it was nice to play that because that's what my grand that's what my grandfathers were
1: mm-hmm. yeah so. there's a lot of billionaires and a lot of um executives and you know and mm-hmm. when it, when now lately it's been more especially for the darker romance has been the whole mafia and mobs and not so much good guys and stuff like that. And it's, you know, I think sometimes can, a little,
2: yeah. That can be fun though. It's also fun, you know, you mentioned accents, but it's also obviously fun to play a character with a strong New York accent mm-hmm. because it's vastly different than what I grew up with. And so when I get to play that, it's it's nice. You kind of, there's some part of you that the channel's like, oh, this, you know, I love the movie Goodfellas or Casino or whatever or the, or the, the Sopranos and you kind of get to inject a little bit of that in
1: there. Mm-hmm. So, on the flip side of accents, what's the most difficult for you to perform? Oh, goodness.
2: Just trying to think back of what I've done. You know, oh, you know honestly, i can I can vividly say of the accents that I have been cast to perform in, the most difficult, by far, is Dutch. And what's funny is I've spent a lot of time in the Netherlands, and I know a little bit of the Dutch language and at least how to pronounce it. So when I'm pronouncing a Dutch word, I usually, I'm pretty confident in the correct pronunciation and diction, but performing and producing that language, or sorry, that accent and dialect in English is very difficult. There's so many little nuances to the words and to the uh, certain syllables that are vastly different than how we would normally say it in English, and so to convincingly say that like a Dutch person is tough because if you're not careful, you could end up flipping into some kind of pseudo-German thing, which is not correct. <laughs> so that that's definitely been the most difficult so far.
1: Well, fingers crossed that it doesn't happen often, then. <laughs> 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 yeah. I don't think there's that many um, Dutch accents when it comes down to uh, like for romance. Usually they go with the, the Highlander, the Irish. Uh, the French has been a new that's popular true. one. has been an accent mm-hmm. popular lately. So, and of course, the, mm. with the states of Southern Texas and you know, Sivindral. yeah, done a bunch of those too. <laughs>
2: Although I will say, when it comes to Southern accents in English, uh, I do my best to really hone in on the correct region. Now, of course, mm-hmm. if the region is not mentioned in the book and there's really no precise geographic location, then usually it's a little bit more general, and the Cone Area and I will usually work on that together. But for instance, if the book is said to be set in Alabama versus Texas or Louisiana or, you know, something like that, all of those regions have very specific dialects. And, you know, I am wouldn't call myself an expert, but I do have a good ear and I try to make sure I stay in tune with what that accent actually sounds like and try to find a native speaker if I can help it or obviously, you know, can go to some of the wonderful diction coaches that we have in our community, like PJ Oakland and um, who else do I know? Robin Miles is another amazing narrator who teaches a lot of dialects. So whenever I get stuck, you know, there it's, it's lucky that we have resources to go to.
1: Yeah. I think sometimes people don't, don't quite get the the little nuances when it comes down to these different accents slash dialects. when When you think of us from the South, depending on what you think that is, either a Texas or Georgia or Alabama uh, people, Mm. you know, automatically go there and being a girl that was born and raised in Miami, Florida, where you had just about everybody hanging out there at one point or another. You know, I learned to pick up those little, you know, you know, the, the pitch or the rhythm depending. So I can kind of go, Oh yeah, you're, you're, you're Cuban background, you're Puerto Rican and you're Chile. uh,
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. and, And similar, I mean, just like how English has tons of dialects and so does Spanish. Yeah. So, you know, that's, uh, and when I studied Spanish in in middle school and high school, my my teachers were, they had studied from all over the place. So one of them studied in Spain, has a completely different regional dialect. One of them studied Dominican Republic, one of them studied in Mexico. So you kind of get a smattering of different inputs. Whereas when you actually, so when you actually have to perform something in a book, You have to make sure you're channeling the right Mm -hmm. thing, and it's luckily, oftentimes I find that it hasn't been it there hasn't been a need to be extremely niche and extremely focused on one specific target sound. I think most recently one of the toughest um, accents to really live and breathe was I did a three book series with Emma Wilder who I'm I'm sure you know, and a lot of of the romance fans know, and she's a good friend of mine. Yeah, she's a good friend of mine. We did a three book series that was set in New Orleans and I played a a guy born and raised in the bayou. And that was difficult because I've only been to New Orleans once in my life. And uh, you know I've heard that accent here and there, but what's funny is a friend of mine who was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, was saying, all you need to do is think about the New Orleans accent like it's Southern fried Brooklyn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've never heard it described like that before. <laughs> yeah. He
2: said Sou- Southern fried blo- or, or Southern fried Boston. He said, because so many people who came over here from Europe in the 1800s, they all ended up, you know, in, you know, especially those who worked in, in maritime and who were fishermen, they ended up in the ports of Louisiana or Boston or New York. So for some reason that accent kind of blended, and created this this thing, which it's it's a drawl and it's a southern. It, there's a lot of southern in there, but a lot of the syllables and a lot of the phrases that they say, you, it sounds like they're from New York.
1: <laughs> yeah, they have that little drawl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never thought of it that way. Having the background of the Italian descent and and you were you know your your grandparents were around when you were growing up. And having now the multicultural and also multi, you know, language. Did you ever get in trouble for using a word that was normal in one language but not so good in the other language? Oh, interesting,
2: (laughs) interesting, interesting question. Um, You know, I don't think so because uh, by the time, you know, by the time I I learned Italian later in life, actually, I, you know, my mother taught me a little bit when I was young. But I got serious about it in my early twenties, when I, uh, you know, when I was out of school, and so I found that uh, my command of the language, because it wasn't really inherent from when I was a kid. Not, I mean, the the sentiment was there and the understanding, but not actually putting it to use in my daily life. So I wouldn't say that I had any trouble flipping back and forth. There was uh, English was definitely my first language growing up. It, mm-hmm. it was what we used all the, all the time at home. My grandparents all spoke it to us. There was never a time where I felt that there was any language
1: barrier. Well, again, coming back from a family that has multiple dialects, in, the, in my house, it was Cuban, Chilean, and Argentinian and oh, wow. the, the different dialects so one word can oh, mean three gosh. different things and yeah. there were many times where depending on who I was speaking to I had to remind myself of the word that I had to use because mm-hmm. it could be a bad word and for one it could be a completely normal thing for the other one so it was always fun
2: <laughs> well you know what's funny you um oh my gosh if I could just remember the the phrase a friend of mine from Spain told me this the other day and she had asked I think what she meant to ask me was did, uh, were you guys dating at the time but the actual translation she used was did you have an affair mm. and I told her you know I, I understand you you know you did the literal translation from Spanish but I said in English you know having an affair that implies you're you're married and you're cheating on
1: somebody, somebody.
2: <laughs> so and she she didn't know it she was she was uh she found that so interesting and I'm always I'm always fascinated by colloquialisms like that and uh, little phrases that we use in the English language that we take for granted and don't really know why we use them. But, uh, but it's just become such a part of the culture and part of the syntax that we just kind of gloss over it.
1: Yeah, there's been some interesting times. Uh, my mom, one of my favorite stories about my mom growing up was they were living in Chile, but again, everybody on her side of the family were from Argentina. So she was born and raised in Chile. So she gets into the house saying, Hey, I got a job. I got a job at 16. And the word that she was using in Spanish is in che. And mm-hmm. that means I got a job in Chile in Argentina. It means I had sex. And when you walk into the house, <laughs> yeah. and all your uncles are in the living room and you're Ooh. busting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Well,
2: I think, uh, I mean, to those, <laughs> to those listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the language, I think probably the best example that we can say across the board is, you know, Embarazado does not mean embarrassed in Spanish. It means no,
1: pregnant. No. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so if you
2: say, "Estoy embarazado." That's yeah. not, nece- not necessarily you want to say, in, in, especially if you're a guy. <laughs> you wouldn't yes. say that in mixed, <laughs> mixed company. But uh, that's definitely a, one of those false cognates that um, can really trip you up.
1: <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. That's also when it comes down to the authors having um, a character that is, you know, from a diversity background. For them to do the research is important because the listeners, you don't know who is listening and they could be someone that's from, you know, has the background knowledge or knows the language. And so that's also very important.
2: Yeah. Mm. So I would say that's definitely, those are two definitely the key ingredients. The process is at least paying attention to what the author has in mind. I usually always try to reach out to the author and at least get in touch with them personally and let them know, you know, I'll take good care of your book. I'll do my best. Is there anything you had in mind from the get go? And then but the bulk of it obviously comes from conferring with the co narrator which is, I think, personally my most important part of the process, and actually a process that I look forward to a lot, because when we're alone in the booth working all the time and talking to ourselves into a microphone, it's easy to forget that there's another actor on the other side of this. And so to get to talk to that person in real time, whether over Zoom or over the phone, it's a, it's a really special part of the process and I always do look forward to it because we're not acting in a film together we're not on this on set all day we're not on stage you know we're we're isolated so to get any time to really human
1: human contact yeah
2: exactly (laughs) so it's so important especially now it's so important
1: yeah well I think too from a consistency perspective I've had um, situations where I'm listening to an audio it's in dual point of uh, dual POV and we have the two uh, narrators one each doing each POV and he's supposed to be from Louisiana, and he's doing the accent, and she's not. Or vice versa. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So things like that, I'm going, y'all did not talk to each other, did you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's definitely important from a consistency perspective. Romance is a rather large genre, and I like to say that the it's almost like an umbrella term with the subgenres underneath it. Of um, course. Do you have a favorite subgenre to perform? Oh wow!
2: Yeah, you know that's uh, what I'm trying to think. What I've done? I've I've done Southern romance, mafia romance. Uh, I, you know, I I have not gotten into any of like the. Um, I haven't done any paranormal. Ro- no, sorry, that's a lie. I have done paranormal romance. Uh, that was interesting. I I had no idea that that was such a a thriving subgenre where, uh, like um, you ever heard of sh- I, I guess maybe the term is shifter romance? Yeah, it is.
1: Yeah, shifter. Romance. Yeah,
2: yeah. I did a three book series uh, where we were uh, we were dragon shifters. That was quite interesting. I never interesting. <laughs> I had never done that before. I mean, I, obviously with the advent of Twilight and stuff like that, shifting and changing into different characters. That's not unheard of, obviously, but I didn't know that it was such a big subgenre of romance. So that was interesting. Um, I think my favorite so far has been more like a cozy mystery romance, where there's a romantic element, obviously, but there's a really strong backstory. It's almost a thriller you don't quite know what's going on. There's, there's a lot of cliffhangers. There's a lot of action. I don't know if that's necessarily the name of the subgenre, but books that deal with that kind of content where it's definitely a romance book, but there's a lot of action going on behind the scenes. Um, I did do, an, I think it was an eight book series uh, by Meredith Wilde called The Red Ledger which was a lot of fun because uh, she would write maybe two a year and I play probably the closest thing I'll ever play to Jason Bourne where I play some I play an ex special forces agent who has had his memory wiped and he finds himself in a fight for his life with the woman that he uh, was with when he was younger who he doesn't remember but she does remember him and there's a lot of people coming after them and there's a lot of action and you could almost picture you could almost picture a like a a born identity or born supremacy type setting so I would definitely say action romance if that's even a thing
1: yes I think they call it more like suspense like suspenseful romance
2: suspenseful romance yes thank you that's Mm -hmm. that's probably a better term for it
1: yeah well there's so many nowadays I mean even the within the PNR umbrella. Um, you have like mm-hmm. the vampires, the shifters, and then even now within the shifters, you have them with dragons and bears. And, oh my. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's something for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, is there a, a genre that you have, um, that you have yet to narrate that you'd like to?
2: Ooh, yeah, you know, I'm not as, uh, I should be a little bit more fluent in, in the exact terminology. Um, I would like to try at some point. I think I would. I think I'd have a lot of fun doing. A, oh, you know what? Never mind. I, I have done it. I was thinking, if uh, I wonder what a love triangle would be like, like a menage a trois. And I realized I just did that. I just did one with um with Meg Sylvan and oh my gosh, who was our other co-narrator? Oh, I cannot remember uh if, I, if it comes to me i'll tell you
1: uh cj Mil- uh, mission
2: yes thank you thank you so much did you, did you have it in front of you
1: <laughs> uh, i'm resourceful i earn oh. my <laughs> <laughs> yes um
2: that was interesting uh that was definitely an interesting one to to be portraying the emotion of a lot of different characters uh, you know i I would find it interesting to do like a sort of maybe a sci-fi romance if that's even the thing like it intergalactic is. or set on a different planet not sure if i would want to go into like the 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 tentacle stuff or uh, the alien alien romance but maybe set on a different planet that'd be interesting
1: yeah there's definitely a lot of that stuff um yeah. <laughs> like i guess there's there's um it's interesting what we think one uh, genre is. Then there's a little bit of a morph, or people have been combining mm-hmm. them. So nowadays, we're like, "What's it about?" is one of those where the question tends to be, and we're like, "Well, there's this guy and this yeah. girl, and they're blue because they're aliens." Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I am a huge Star
2: Trek fan, and mm-hmm. uh, and Star Trek definitely has been so groundbreaking in its portrayal of. Things like interracial couples mm-hmm. and and LGBTQ couples and stuff like that, and so I think it's really important to hear those stories as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I'm I'm a big fan of any content that allows me to really portray and act with a strong emotional sense. Whenever I narrate, I always try to sound like a real person. It's it's sometimes can be easy to just say, to just rely on the sound of your voice, especially if you have a deep, dark, gravelly voice sometimes. But I don't really get to use it that often. And I don't try to use it. I don't try to put on like this movie trailer voice or anything. I just try to sound like what you're listening to right now, mm-hmm. which is a real person and somebody who you can envision and somebody who is believable and somebody that you can see maybe on the other side of the screen and feel like you're having an intimate conversation with that person. That's that's kind of what I... Look for or hope to portray in whatever I'm cast for.
1: Listener fans are really, they do love your performance. They've always said that it's, you know, really real as far as that goes. And of course, the gravelly, you know, deeper sexy voice always helps. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. That's
2: really nice. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. Nice to hear.
1: So, um, in reference to Star Trek, um, which type of show were you, it was your favorite? Because they had different shows.
2: Yeah, you know, I I, I love um, Star Trek The Next Generation the most. I, Patrick Stewart has always been one of my favorite actors in anything he's in. And, you know, that show just kind of, I only discovered it quite recently in the last five or six years. And really just fell in love with those characters and the storylines. And yeah, there's a lot of cheese in there and stuff too. But it's definitely my favorite show as far as the acting and just the the situations they're in. And so recently when Star Trek Picard came out, which has Patrick Stewart reprising the role after over 30 years, yeah, it was just so charming for me to see that. And so I, I binged that whole season. It's <laughs> only one season so far. Season okay. two I think is gonna come out sometime late this year, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But I binge watched that season in two days. I just couldn't get enough of just seeing these characters again. And, But obviously through the filter of modern special effects, which makes it all the more exciting.
1: Yes, yes. See, so now we can be friends because you said it was the next generation. <laughs>
2: um. oh, it, was, it was a test. Oh, it was a text? okay. Uh, what, what do I win? What do I win?
1: <laughs> Our friendship. Um. All right, all right, yeah. Oh
2: yeah, you're right, there we
1: go. No, yeah, it's, um. I, I actually grew up watching that and now I still have to catch up on the Picard episodes yet, but it's on my list of things. Oh, today. you're gonna love it. Yeah, I'm sure I, I'm I'm like, I was so excited to see that the show was happening. And then I've heard now some talk board season two, they're bringing some of the other characters in that they weren't bringing in before. So like, Whoopi Goldberg's mm-hmm. character will be coming in.
2: Yeah, that was, that's, uh, that'll be really special to see yeah. in again. Actually, I don't know if you know the story, but she was, uh, she was actually quite disappointed because uh, Whoopi Goldberg was, I guess, interviewed years ago saying that when she saw Nichelle Nichols playing Uhura in the original series,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and she said, wow, this is the first time I've seen An African-American woman on screen playing like a figure of power and she that was to her was like wow I can if she can do it I can do it you know and so she was so excited to hope finally meet her uh, uh, when they made the film Star Trek Generations which features the original series cast and the next generation cast but she didn't know until she showed up to the set that uhura's character was not written into that movie, and cool. so she was so she was so disappointed. She was like, "I was hoping that there was going to be a Guinan and uhura moment on camera for the first time ever." But who knows? Maybe uh, maybe they'll throw it into Picard somehow. That'd be cool.
1: Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> so aside from obviously watching these different shows and stuff, do you actually listen to audiobooks in general or read books? Do you have time for that?
2: <laughs> oh gosh, uh, somebody asked me that the other day. They said. Uh, you know, what What are you reading these days? And I said, oh, reading for pleasure, huh? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, I, these days, I don't get to read much uh, that is not, that is beyond scripts that I'm preparing, which is a good problem to have, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it is nice every once in a while to maybe put something aside or pick up something that you haven't read in a while. And recently uh, I picked up, one of my favorite books ever in my whole life, The Phantom Tollbooth. You ever read that? No. Oh my goodness. It is one of the greatest pieces of American literature in my opinion. It's set in a fictionalized world um, with all these different amazing characters. And uh, it was written in the 60s by this guy named Norton Juster who's still alive actually. And uh, it's a classic, classic piece of literature. Really, really fun. And then I've been reading, uh, I actually own the entire collection of the comic Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, wow. I have the entire collection. So I've been reading that for fun. Because I think when you're preparing a book and stuff and preparing characters, there's maybe not a whole lot of bandwidth left to read a dense book. So sometimes it's fun to pick up. Something fun like a comic book or a graphic novel. So I've been doing that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people don't consider those like books and reading. And I'm like, listen, it has words, it's reading. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it's gotten some bad rep sometimes. But I, I love the fact that now the communities are getting more involved with each other when it comes down to different types of books, including the comics. And that mm-hmm. they're even, you know, they're starting to mesh more. In fact, some of the romance uh, authors have done like like novellas but in comic style really yes wow Mm -hmm.
2: that's that's, really cool
1: it is yeah it's cool because it can kind of bring other people into it that are more into the comics versus the other way around absolutely yeah yeah. so that's been kind of cool having an italian background do you cook a lot do you not cook at all
2: yes i do cook very much uh and i'm glad that i learned at a young age how to cook. Growing up, you know, there were there were times where, I mean, I especially when I was in high school, I feel you know, and I when I would finish my homework and stuff, uh, you know, and if my my parents, or my my dad was still at the office, he'd come home. My mother would go work out, she'd do yoga and stuff, and I would cook. I mean, so I'm I'm definitely uh, definitely been doing a lot of that throughout this whole lockdown experience. Actually, have not. Ordered delivery once yet since the middle of March. Wow! Yeah, and I think I'm going to definitely change that just for the simple reason that I do want to support the local businesses in my neighborhood and stuff. But I've been I've been cooking, and I find there's something really cathartic about that for me, Uh, especially if I've just spent hours in the booth and stuff, and I want to decompress. There's just something really beautiful about cooking something and focusing all your attention on that and Making sure it comes out great and stuff. So I do, I do love to cook a lot of um, Mediterranean food if I if I can, uh, like chicken shawarma with jasmine rice and some. You know I I love using like tahini and sriracha sauce and what I do. So I wouldn't say that I'm a master chef or anything by any stretch of the imagination. But but cooking is definitely something that is anxiety uh, easing, and uh, it's definitely a a fun process for me, especially after a
1: long work day. So, is it one of those where you we can envision having some music in the background and having you, you know, just tossing some ingredients into a saute pan and just you know sauteing <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, it more- you know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 totally a, a valid picture. I mean, I I love uh, listening to Beethoven's piano music. It's some of my favorite music in the world, and so I'll sometimes put on you know, an album of uh, some of the greatest pianists like Arthur Rubinstein or Helene Grimaud, and just listen to the Beethoven piano sonatas while I cook. And it just, it's such a, a wonderful combination for me. It's very therapeutic.
1: Yeah. Do you um, drink something when you're cooking and you're on that winding down moment?
2: Uh yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> throughout this lockdown, I maybe have, you know, I think all of us, maybe we've been a little bit more liberal as far as imbibing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, uh, I love my, uh, I love Metzcal. Are you a fan of Metzcal?
1: Uh, remind me what that is.
2: Oh, it's, uh, it's like tequila. It's made from agave, but it's a lot smokier. It's a, it's very popular in Mexico yeah it's a yeah it's a, like an agave based liquor that's used in margaritas and stuff yeah like that. so that's I, why I it sounded sc-
1: familiar but i wasn't sure and yeah. i put my foot in my mouth so i, <laughs> I love
2: my, yeah it's okay i so i love my skull and then i i love my uh i love bourbon so i'll usually drink you know have a little bit of that you know that or something and obviously growing up italian you know that's
0: mm-hmm. it's,
2: the, it's, the, it's the fruit of the vine so <laughs> I usually have you know, I keep a bottle on hand. It depends on what I'm cooking. I don't mm-hmm. always don't always want wine. I don't don't always want whiskey. so but yeah, usually when I'm cooking, there'll be there'll be some kind of nice little libation sitting by. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think with all this having that extra time, I grew up, you know, just basically having like mixed drinks, so like the margaritas or the fuzzy navel uh, mudslides yeah. if you're in a dessert, you know situation. um, and then for the beers, you just grab a Corona or a Heineken. And I'm like, I've been trying yeah. to sophisticate myself a bit more and trying out different cordials. And I, I tried bourbon once and it's like, wow, that's a, that's intense. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, um, I never I never really had a taste for beer growing up because where I grew up, we used to drink a lot of kind of subpar Canadian beers and stuff and things like very typical american and canadian brands it just didn't really taste like much to me mm-hmm. but since spending a lot of time in the netherlands and belgium and germany over the last 10 years my palate for beer has gotten a lot more sophisticated i'd like to say so i'm i'm uh if i'm gonna drink a beer i like a really like you know i like a Strong, very hoppy double IPA or something. I, mm-hmm. I'm not one. I'm not one to just reach for, for a Heineken or a Michelob or something. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a little bit, maybe I'm a bit of a beer snob that way, but, uh, but so be it. Yeah. Some people are, some people are wine snobs. Some people yep. are coffee snobs. I'm maybe more of a beer snob, whatever. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, there's so many options nowadays. I mean, even here in Florida, we have our wineries and we have our beer distilleries and stuff like that. And that's not something that you think of when you think of, for example, wine. Oh, Oh, yeah Florida um, the terroir is just not the right kind um but it's just one of those where I think with age and also just not wanting to be that girl that goes yeah can I have a fuzzy navel when there's a bunch of different options out there uh, just to kind of develop and just learn you know things.
2: Viviana if you'll forgive my ignorance I actually don't even know what's in a fuzzy navel what is it <laughs>
1: so it's peach schnapps it's schnapps and orange oh, juice oh
2: okay okay yeah. Yeah, Got very very it.
1: simple too. Just two ingredients, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a it's a um, light.
2: <laughs> there's a there's a after dinner drink I learned about in uh, well, it's a little bit heavier than an after dinner drink. But when I was in Italy in 2013, um, some sometimes it's colloquially referred to as il padrino, which means the Godfather. But it's uh, it's a mixture of bourbon and di sarono, the amaretto liqueur, and it's delicious.
1: Hmm. I think yeah. I have if those you, here.
2: If, if you like, a, if you if you like amaretto, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know what I like. That's always one of those things I don't know. So I tend to buy those cute little small bottles, and that's yeah. how I taste test things. And then if not, I just use it for the food. And you know, a tequila or any some of that those clear li- liquid um, uh, liquors actually does go well with things like uh, sauces and peppers. So. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Who, who knew? Who knew? We, just, we have so much time on our hands right now during this lockdown. We might as well just try everything.
1: Yeah. Not only that, but it's a, it calls for a red wine. So what do you have instead if you don't have red wine? <laughs> Let's start experimenting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the end of the show, I love doing a little game with my guests. So if you're... Um, sure. Cool. So it's a would you rather... So it's also getting to know you a little bit. Okay. Okay. So would you rather always be 10 minutes late or 20 minutes early?
2: definitely 20 minutes early. Absolutely no question. I like to get somewhere and have a couple of minutes to get the lay of the land Mm -hmm. and relax. Uh, especially if I'm recording in a studio and you get a chance to catch your breath and stuff, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in to be early is to be on time. Mm
1: -hmm. Would you rather know the history of every object you touch or be able to talk to animals?
2: Wow. That's a really interesting (laughs) question. Uh, hmm. now when you say talk to animals you mean like they could understand me or we could have a conversation
1: conversation i'd say
2: i think that would be much more rewarding than just i mean that's that to me Having telepathy with animals—that's like a superpower. Mm-hmm. Ta- knowing knowing the history of every th- object you touch—that's just like that just means you're super smart. It would come in handy at certain points, but I think talking to animals, maybe they could tell us some secrets about how we can better treat the planet.
1: True, yeah. I've yeah. always always been curious about what the cat would say. Um.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely and because cats turn on a dime. You. They love you one minute; the next minute, they're like, "Okay, I've had enough. Get away from me."
1: Yeah. Well, I've been lucky. I, yeah. I have uh, three cats right now, and they're all three of them are very affectionate and loving, and they don't do that. But one of them is very oh, needy. that's good. But she's very needy, so it's every time you walk into the room, she's meowing because she wants to have some loving. And first thing mm. in the morning, right up in your face, she's meowing. I'm like, "Enough already, dude! Enough." <laughs> <laughs> Go away. Yeah,
2: you know, I'm. Uh, it would be nice to have a, a pet right about now, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I. The problem is that, on the off chance that I have a very hyper uh, cat or dog, it would it would be really difficult to get recording done in, in something like that. So, oh yes, uh, maybe maybe one of these days, but uh, but not right now, unfortunately. So anyway, I definitely would prefer to talk to animals.
1: Would you rather uh, be able to teleport anywhere or be able to read minds?
2: Ooh, that's tough too. Uh, well, <laughs> both of those things happen in Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> um, I think, wow, that is tough. I wish I could pick both because having both of those things would be so amazing. Uh, I think at the moment, I would rather read minds come back to me in about 6 months and then maybe we can we could talk and I'd say something different. I think I I want to well actually scratch that. Right now I would love to be able to teleport just like you know put put my put my mask over my face so I'm yeah. you know protected <laughs> at least and just teleport and like spend a couple of hours in the middle of Florence or something odd, like in a in a remote location and just teleport right back here beaming as they call it in Star Trek. Yeah. But um <laughs> yeah but i also think uh actually it's kind of a it's kind of a funny joke but there'd be so many uh like none of us romance narrators would have any work if the characters in our books actually told each other how they feel early on in the book
1: <laughs> you're so right
2: <laughs> they spent so much time Assuming like yes. oh, if I tell if I tell her how I feel, everything's just gonna go to hell and this is not, you know, we're friends, like this isn't how it's supposed to work. Like, you know, we're best friends, we're buddies. Like, I can't have feelings like this for my best friend. Like, if I tell her she's gonna screw things up, and then in the other in, you know, in the woman's chapter, she's saying this exact same thing about yes. the guy. So if if characters did have the ability to read each other's minds, the books would be about ten pages long and none of us would get <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that is true. It's one of those where we're always like if he just talk, you wouldn't have to be have this issue in chapter 25. Um, but yeah.
2: Actually, talking. uh it's funny. I uh, I in some of the books I've been narrating recently, you know, there's like party scenes or like I just I was narrating a scene earlier where it's at a big family barbecue and part of me's going like you guys should be social distancing. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it would be interesting to see, like, if we were to go forward in time, um, if anything like this, of what's going on currently, is going to be um, included in some of, you know, books. Either. Oh
2: gosh. Yeah. I would. I would be so. I'd be so down. You know, I think this is probably for many people my age. I I just turned thirty. I think many people in this day and age, this is probably the most significant global event we've lived through, and hopefully. We won't live through anything more severe, but to actually narrate a book maybe a couple years down the road that's based completely off what we're all going through right now and to have a love story embedded in that, I think that'd be so touching to say, wow, I lived through this. I know what it was like. I, I remember the emotions that we were all going through at this time and to actually portray a character who's living through it too i think that would be really special so i hope i hope that does happen at yeah. some point
1: or at least something similar you know when a character doesn't needs to have that social distancing for whatever reason mm-hmm. yeah it'll definitely yeah. Be, it'll be interesting we'll see um would you rather never have to clean a bathroom again or never do the dishes again
2: Ooh, uh i would love to never have to clean a bathroom <laughs> <laughs> i think um i think just because I love to cook. Mm -hmm. To me, cleaning up and doing the dishes afterward, that's like part of the process. And so that's like, that's to me, like I, in my apartment, I have sort of a rule to myself. It's like, you know, I leave nothing in the sink overnight. Before I go to bed, the kitchen is spotless. The kitchen's cleaned up. There's nothing in the sink, no dishes, whatever. So whereas so that to me is like it's part of the routine whereas cleaning the bathroom that just feels like a chore
1: yeah where have you been on my life you're like the only other person I know that has the same concept like I hate leaving (laughs) stuff in the. I hate leaving things overnight so I don't but it drives me crazy when other people do Like, dude seriously it's just a it's a mug clean it (laughs)
2: yeah clean it clean it and you know it's it's going to take you 20 seconds. Second.
1: Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Where have you been Whereas all my
2: clean, life? <laughs> Cleaning the bathroom, it's like, well, okay, you gotta, you know, scrub the shower tiles mm-hmm. and then, you know, behind the toilet anymore. and, and, you know, the, the, wipe the.
1: Yeah, the all the nooks and crannies. Dab,
2: yeah. Dab, dabs of toothpaste <laughs> off the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So definitely, I would love to never clean a bathroom. Okay.
1: Cool. Would you rather be invisible or fast?
2: Hmm. Um. Is the uh, is the invisibility permanent? Is it permanent, or can you I shift?
1: Don't, I don't know. It just says invisible.
2: <laughs> I think that would be really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. but only if it was uh, only if it was like Harry Potter, where you had an invisibility cloak. Like, I wouldn't want to be invisible all the time. Yeah. Uh, right. probably be. And also I've I've watched a lot of those Invisible Man movies. It's just mm-hmm. sort of a guilty, guilty pleasure, like Hollow Man, or I did watch recently the the Invisible Man that came out this year with Elizabeth Moss. And just there's something about perpetual invisibility that I would not like at all. So I'd like to be invisible, but only if it was a process that I could flip back and forth between visibility and invisibility.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Last one. Okay. Would you rather tell everyone your guilty pleasures or never partake in any of your guilty pleasures ever again?
2: Wow. Who comes up with these? I am very impressed. <laughs> who, are, are, you, are you coming or are some of the listeners coming up with these?
1: Um, I, there's a bunch of different websites that I've searched and some of these have been my own. So okay, nice okay. mix these of things. Are, yeah. Yeah. These, <laughs> are
2: really, these are really good questions. Um, I would rather tell a select group of people. Oh wait, that's not the question. Tell, tell everybody your guilty pleasures. Well, you know, my guilty pleasures I think are not anything really shameful or anything or things that I'm, that I'm not proud of. So yeah, I would rather, I'd rather tell them than not be able to indulge in them ever again. Yeah.
1: So Before we go, can you share with us what you're working on next or what's coming out next?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I, there's, Obviously, certain things uh, that we that have not been announced yet, so we have to keep them under wraps a little bit. But um, I'm working on a series for Dreamscape, the the Southern, right? it's a Southern romance series, and each one of the books has a different uh, like Southern Chance, Southern Comfort, Southern Storm, and that is a co- uh, that's by Natasha Madison. It's a fun series, and that's co-narrated with uh, Moray Salmida. And those will be coming out. One of them came out uh, yesterday, I believe, or two days ago. And then um, another series that I started was with Samantha Brentmore. And that's uh, the first book is called Love on Beach Avenue. It's a really cute rom-com. So that's what's coming up at the moment. And um, again, as more stuff comes out, I'm sure the listeners will just be able to see when it is available for pre-order yes. on, on Audible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have search engines, you know, saved um, <laughs> for, your, for our favorites narrator's name. As soon as it pops up, we, we get the notification. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Brian, for being my guest for this year's Audiobook and Series. My, my pleasure. Thank you. It was fun. And until next time, happy listening.
0: Thank you for joining us in the Audiobook Loving Series, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode as well as the series. We've included audio samples of our guest's work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you've enjoyed this program.